Good morning, everyone. Monday, uh, I don't even know what date it is. It's the 18th of October. <laughs> um, so I'm delighted to say on the show in Gaz Meets for season two, we have former Celtic captain Jackie McNamara. Um, he's just brought out uh, his new autobiography. His name is McNamara, um, available in all good bookstores. Um, and well, he's obviously just started a book tour as well. Um, Jackie, first of all, thanks very much for coming on. How's the book tour been going so far? Thanks, guys. It's been nice to be here. Um, yeah, it's been good so far. We've been well received and, um, you know, I've quite enjoyed getting out as well. I think, like most people, after the last sort of 18 months, um, you know, getting to see people and, and not been stuck in the house. So, yeah, so far so good and looking forward. Yeah, so I just lost you. It sounded a bit Jackie, but uh, yeah, we got the gist of it. Um, yeah, so as I say, the the book uh, the book tour has just started, kind of thing. I know you've got a lot of dates, and the dates are all available on our socials, kind of thing. Um, I was telling Jackie that um, when he moved to Wolves uh, way back when, he, he brought my wee sister's heart, and that's her just sending her. I love for Jackie kind of no, thing. No. Um, so it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure we'll get on to that. Um, our sponsors are Club Badge FC. They're the licensed suppliers, uh, official licensed suppliers of the Scotland national team. Um, so check them out, guys. Um, so Jackie, we'll get straight into it because um, I've got a lot mm -hmm. to get through. Um, if we go back to February last year, um, you know, you're out walking dogs, a normal day for yourself. Um, you started feeling well, which led to obviously a collapse. Um, do you have much memories of that day kind of thing? Uh, I mean, every so often I get kind of flashbacks about it and, and different things, but, you know, I, I, I remember obviously that strange feeling that I had before I collapsed. Uh, I knew I was uh, passing out. I knew I was I had no control. That something was, was really wrong uh, in my body. And, you know, I managed to, to call to my wife that I was... I didn't feel right just before I, you know, I went head first onto the stones in the garden. So, uh, yeah, it was quite a, a a real strange experience, but um, it wasn't painful at that point. You know, just uh, losing consciousness and knowing I'm going to pass out. Yeah, I mean, I can remember obviously um, being in work here in the news and and just obviously praying and sending all our wishes. Obviously, we've got a lot of a big following on the Celtic FC appreciation page and everybody was sending their best wishes. But I think what was probably more comforting for yourself, it, um, it was everybody of all clubs and all kind of walks of life were, were sending their, their prayers and their best wishes to you. I mean, I don't know how much of that you've seen, obviously, when, when you got out of hospital and you were recovering. Yeah, I mean, my, my daughter... Uh... She had sort of taken my phone, um, you know, uh, when when I was in in the hospital and in the coma. As I came out of coma, I think it was probably, you know, maybe a, a week after I came out of the coma that I could start to take things in a little a little bit better, um, you know, and understand understand things. And um, you know, and I, my daughter showed me some of the stuff that was that was written and. Uh, you know, showed me a wee video of the Celtic fans singing at the game. You know, it was, it was quite emotional uh, watching it. Um, you know, it really was such a, a nice feeling getting the support from a, a lot of people. And um, you know, I've been very, very fortunate uh, with a lot of things. You know, um, the well wishing, but obviously pulling through and making it as well uh, at that point. 
Yeah, and obviously, I, I take it you're, you're, you're feeling okay now, do you know what I mean? In terms of, obviously, I know you won't be 100% still, but in terms of, you look you look fantastic, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm better, thanks. I mean, I've, I mean I've, since the February 2020, I've had three operations, um, different operations, you know, like quite major things to happen in recovering frame. I think, obviously, my football career, I've had a lot of different <laughs> operations with knees and fractured jaw, cruciates, but um, never anything with, with the head, uh, which are totally different, you know, different thing altogether. Trying to trying to learn to do things again and walking and remembering things and uh, but yeah, it's amazing how it can recover. Yeah, I mean, um a lot of love on the on the socials there for you, Jackie McNamara, Live the Dream, what a player says Paul Malone. Um obviously that part of your life was that one of the reasons then for for doing the autobiography was it was it your idea or did somebody come to you and, and suggest the idea i've been asked a number of times over the years to do one um you know I, you know after i left celtic and i didn't think it was right to do one while i was still playing or managing um you know you see players that do autobiographies and their careers not even halfway through you know they've had one season and they've done an autobiography uh, I thought it was the right time to do it because of what happened to me as well. I've been asked with different people about what happened uh, with my illness and uh, and how to how to deal with things as well with that. So I think it was a, a good way of putting putting my my version across of, of everything, you know, my my side of things, um, and obviously what happened to me as well. Because I think when you get out of hospital and you, and you go home. You, you don't know what to, you know, what to expect, what to feel like. You know, you, with a brain injury, there's frustration, there's anger, there's fear. You know, there's a lot of things to, should I be feeling this way? Even when I got home I, uh, for the first time, you know, I, I started getting really bad headaches again. And, and they did tell me in the hospital that you'll get headaches for a, a year, year and a half anyway. You know, that'll be quite frequent just to take paracetamol. But, um they seem to be quite excruciating, you know, like pressure headaches. And my wife eventually talked me into go up to the A and E, which we did uh, one of the nights. I couldn't take any more. The, the pressure was quite intense, and uh, we went into the A and E, and they said I'd hydrocephalus and kept me in. Done a lumbar puncture the next morning, and then it didn't really work. So that's when I had to go and get another operation to put a, a shunt in, which is fitted into the back of my head, a little contraption that drains into my stomach and keeps it at a certain level, which it's just it's amazing what they can do. But you know, but for a four or five days I'd been suffering in pain and thinking I'll just, you know, get through it. Yeah, I mean the, <clears throat> for anybody that's it's not got the book yet, um I would definitely recommend to to go out and get it. Um, you know, the um, you've, you've got a forward from none other than Henrik Larsson. Um, in terms of how was that something that Henrik found out about and wanted to um, wanted to get involved in? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, a lot of my teammates had obviously came to see me as well. And Henrik's over in Barcelona, and they'd been sending messages, and uh, a lot of lads came to the hospital. Um, you know when he done that, when he, he sent this stuff through for the forward, you know it was quite emotional reading it. I mean, what he, what his thoughts of of me were as a 
a friend, not just a teammate, you know, and it's it's quite humbling uh, to you know do what he'd said about me, and you know, you just you share a dressing room with people and you go on with them, and you know, and um, but you know, you have a friendship there and stuff that goes beyond football, and I think that's that's important in life. Yeah, I mean, it, sh- it kind of shows um, the class of the guy that. Um, I, I mean, I didn't realise that, that you guys were that close kind of thing because I was thinking somebody like Simon Donnelly to do the forward or, um, you know, one of the guys from the 90s kind of thing, Dan Jackson, that sort of thing, Paul Lambert. Um, but obviously Pitch Publishing got involved. They, you know, they published the book. Um, they've got some great names in the repertoire, Jeff Hurst and Marcella Bells, as well as other club books kind of thing. Um, did, they, did they obviously come to you with the idea um, or did your company have to, you know, put, put it out there? There was a few I had spoken to um, about doing it, and to be honest, I wanted to make sure it was done right. You know, every every kind of detail, and they're I think they're a fantastic company to do it with. You know, the ones I've done before, and uh, and Jerry McDade, who is a ghostwriter uh, that I've done it with, who uh, done Pat Bonner's book in the past, and. I've known Jerry over the years from working his time at Celtic and doing different events. Um, so getting him to do it, you know, I wanted it. I wanted it to be like I'm seeing it when you're reading it, and I think it comes across that way. I think he's done it really well. Uh, you know how he's 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 put it across, and you know coming back and forth from the hospital uh, throughout my life and going through different parts each chapter. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's done been done really well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the important thing about a, a book and especially an autobiography. I love reading about people's lives and I love reading about people's lives that I've I've known and I've kinda of grown up with. So um for me when I was reading the book, it, it did almost feel like I could hear you saying it kind of thing mm-hmm. in your voice kind of thing. And I think yeah. that's that's what connects the reader um to the book kind of thing almost. Yeah, I think so. even like the like my dad reading it, you know, my dad had finished it last week and, um, you know, it's it's not just about games and matches, you know, it's not like a typical, it's 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 me, it's my version of events and how how to deal with certain things, you know, there's, there's the highs, of, you know, stopping the 10, winning leagues, yeah, for cup finals, but there's also lows as well and dealing with things with, with family issues and different things after Seville with my mum passing away, so... You know, as football players, we're out there every every weekend, um, but we aren't robots. You know, we we mask things and we try to go out there and put everything to the back of your mind to concentrate for that ninety minutes to to get the victory. But beyond that, you know, we're we're human beings as well. And we get feelings, we get families, we get friends, and um, you know, I thought it was important to put that that side across the, the human element. Yeah, I mean. Um, if you go, if we go back to, to to the start of your career, then in terms of um, doing family, I think it was a sixteen-year-old Jackie McNamara. I know you went on loan to. Is it? I, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Probably Gardock United. Is that right? Is that how you Gardock, close it? enough. Gardock. Yeah. Gardock United. <laughs> United um, and obviously, you know, I think that was your first. I think you went and won the. Did you go and win the Scottish, Scottish Cup? Scottish Cup. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, so your first ever medal. But in terms of, mm-hmm. I mean, how. How massive was that just to set you off in your career for? It was big because, you know, at 16, at 15, I did a bad leg break at training. We speak about there in the, 
uh, Rangers fan or <laughs> a 30 year old Rangers fan turned up at training uh, one of the coach's pals when I was playing with Dinah Hibbs and uh, he broke my leg you know, a double leg break I was out for seven months at a time where all my, my teammates and pals were all getting signed up the club so and Dunfermline really took a chance on me uh, just when I turned 16 in October time uh, and I went in full time at, uh, in the January Jim Leishman was the manager they, they gave me a YTS there and then they, you know, I, I went out and played for Gearduck to get that experience playing against the sort of older players before I got into the sort of reserves and first team but it was great it was a great great, great club to, to go to and to learn and, and come up through the ranks if you like and then and then get sold on to Celtic. Yeah, I mean, everybody, every football player, I suppose, has that one guy or two guys that, that you look back on over your career and think, you know, I made it because of them, potentially. Um, Sandy Brown and Paddy McGowan was two names that popped up in the book. Um, how pivotal, I suppose, were they in, in getting you to sign for Dunfermline? Sandy especially. I mean, Sandy, you know, he was close to dying I didn't know at the time but he'd said to Jim Leishman that you know he'd, he'd, he really thought that I was going to make it and it was kind of his wish that the club signed me and, and, and Jim Leishman you know I would never have been that kind of uh, a Leishman signing I don't think it would be too small and different things um, but Jim done done it on Sandy Brown's wishes and give me a chance and you know the rest the rest is history as I say but um, Without Sandy doing that, you know, you just don't know. In football, you need a little bit of luck. You need somebody to believe in you. You need the opportunity to, you know, to show what you can do. Uh, and it takes time as well. And, uh, and Dunfermline gave, gave me that. Yeah, and I think somebody else that, that really backed you quite obviously was uh, was your dad, um, Jackie Senior. And mm-hmm. one at one point, I think it could have went either way. Dunfermline when he when he had, I don't was it at Dunfermline when he had your yeah. manager? Yeah, it was um, Yeah, he, he had a set to your manager. I mean, um, yeah, what, was, what, was, what was that like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you know that that's my dad. How my dad dealt with things. Yeah. <laughs> A bit old school, um, but you know what he he was right in the way that what he was saying. You know, if my son wasn't good enough, you take him elsewhere, and he's not a cheat. You know, as a coach, your job's to teach him, and if he if he knows what he's supposed to be doing, um, you know, just how maybe my dad put it across to him. <laughs> but you know, it, it worked out for the best. You know, the next day, uh, Gordon put a session on. Uh, which I, I was like, I'm not going back. My dad's like, you're going back tomorrow and he's going to show you. Uh, and in fairness, they did. Uh, yeah. Although, uh, all the years I've been in football, I, I still I wasn't wrong what I'd done. It was somebody else not doing their job. I was kind of standing my ground, educating yard box, not to sell myself. It wasn't really, you know, for, for what he'd had a pop at me for, wasn't uh, wasn't right. But I think I think when you mentioned as well, I suppose looking back on it now, you know, it was a kind of old school way of dealing with things, Jim McLean era and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. That's the way managers behaved, and it didn't matter if you were sixteen or, or thirty six. I mean, like that's obviously yeah. they thought that was the right way to behave. Now, when you look at it, I think players are a lot more protected. There's a lot more kind of yeah, there's a way of talking to them and dealing with them in general. 
Yeah, I think society in general is like that. You know, the, what they got away with then, and uh, it wouldn't happen now. You know, they'd be up for charges with different things for bullying or shouting or swearing um, or victimising the players. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't be. Wouldn't be allowed to get away with that now in today's terms. Yeah, but as I say, I suppose it kind of made you almost the player that, that you became, kind of thing. Um, in terms of when you look at the four seasons you spent with Dunfermline, um, you know, you had some amazing teammates in there who became future managers, David Moyes, for example, Billy Davies, Ian McCall. I mean, um, I don't know if they would have, I take it they would have been pretty young as well at the time, kind of thing, um, going back to, you know, early 90s. How were they as teammates in terms of to learn off of? Um, quite vocal, um, I would say, like Moisey and, and Billy Davis were always kind of together, you know, they travelled together. Ian McCall was more sort of early on, um, you know, when I first went there, uh, and he left to go to Falkirk. The other ones there, like Sir Norrie McCarthy, who sadly passed away just after I'd signed with Celtic. He was a, a fantastic character as well, and would have been a manager, there's no doubt. Uh, Paul Smith, who's assistant manager just now at Wraith Rovers, um, as well. So, no, there were it was a good dressing room. You know, they had some real good characters. You know, experienced footballers in there, and for me personally, it was good. You know, to to be in that environment. And would you say when you when you did decide to get into management? Because I know we kind of we're talking about Leah, and you kind of thrown into management at Thistle. But in terms of, did you keep in touch with them? When you did get properly into management, kind of thing, were they a source um, of kind of you could phone no, them and not, not really, to be honest. No, I, I mean, I probably probably should have spoke to certain ones a wee bit more than I did, um, how to deal with situations. But I never, I never really tapped into that. I just kind of, you know, I had in my own mind how I wanted to do things and I maybe take little bits from each manager that I worked under and try to put it across the way that I wanted to be, you know, on the other side. Is if I was a player, this is what I'd want. You know, I want my training like this. I want to explain like this or talk like this. Um, and that's that's how I tried to do it in management, uh, which was relatively successful up to certain periods. Yeah, and obviously then, um, you know, as you say, four years at Dunfermline and you get your move to Celtic, um, who, let's face it, were a, a struggling club at the time, you know, weren't winning a lot of trophies, weren't the dominant force that we are today kind of thing. Um, where, you know, do you remember when you first kind of heard about the move? Yeah, um, we knew in the morning that there'd been a bid from the club and um, Dunfermline had rejected it and said they wanted a million, which... You know, it was crazy. You know, it was in the in the championship, like the division one at the time, and you know, uh, twenty one year old, uh, not not played in the Premier League. So I know I was playing the Scotland twenty ones, but I just thought that was a lot of money for for someone that came through the ranks as well, and and you know, it's cost them nothing. It's stopping me moving. Um, so the chat with them and said, "Let's too much." Uh, and later on that day, they phoned me and said they accepted a bid from Celtic. But I think it was more the bank accepted it than, than the club. You know, the, the family were quite a bit of trouble at that point with the financial side. So it was a bank accepted the bid. Um, and I was told I had to go through in the next morning to do a medical and, and agree personal terms with Celtic. 
Yeah, and then obviously, you know, you, everything gets signed and sealed and delivered. Um, in terms of then, um, you know, going into day-to-day training, preparing for matches, was, was there a massive difference in terms of when you were at Dunfermline to, to when you were at Celtic? Uh, massive difference in, obviously, the respect of film, but the, the quality. You know, mm-hmm. Mixed days and stuff in there. and um, There were similarities in terms of the expectation. You know, in, in, in Division 1, Dunfermline were expected to win most games, which I think helped me deal with going to Celtic and handling the expectation uh, of doing that. Um, but I think the, the difference, you know, in quality when you're playing with it's Simon in front of me, uh, Donnelly in front of me, they're there, might stay inside and, you know, and, or I could put into a, a Van Hooydonk's feet, he'd always be there, Big Pierre, and that, Andy Tom around him. So it was it was great to just jump into that, into the, you know, the deep end, if you like, and, and it was straight away. You know, I played, I signed that day and played that night in my debut away at Falkirk, and then, so I never looked back, just got in and got the game under my belt, and, it was great. Yeah, and obviously you missed out, just missed out in the Scottish Cup victory over Airdrie. Um, but, you know, you did secure your first winner's medal at Ibrox in the League Cup in 1997. Beat Dunfermline, uh, sorry, beat Dundee United, sorry. Um, I mean, how kind of strange was that? Obviously, no winning your first trophy at Celtic, but winning it at Ibrox, obviously. Yeah, it was, I think it was just a relief getting a, a victory, winning the silverware. Um you know, the celebrations are different as well and it's not Hamden, you know, you're, you you just kind of celebrate that moment and then you get the trophy. Then we went back. I actually had to do a drug test after the match, so I missed the bus. The bus went back to the, the ground to greet the supporters back at Celtic Park and I, I, get, I left back. Um, I think it was one of the security guys took us back after I gave him the, the sample. <laughs> but... Um, and then later joined in the celebrations after that. But yeah, it was that was a bit of a, a pain in the backside, not not being in the team bus going back to the stadium. I mean, when when you look at that, um, you know, you obviously we're, we're treated with the the period of dominance that Celtic fans have um, enjoyed in the last twenty years or so. And um, I suppose did it mean more? When, when in the nineties, when you weren't winning many trophies, I think you obviously only won three trophies in the nineties, kind of thing. Um, did it mean more when you did get your hands on silverware then? Yeah, I think. Well, I think you could see through history books, like you know, Rangers, what was going on there, and how strong they were. Um, I think when you you seen the, I mean, the the biggest thing for me in my time there was stopping the ten in a row. You know, we were mm-hmm. underdogs, new manager. Pierre had gone, Cadet had gone, you know, um, Tecano had gone. Uh, and it was such a, a difficult uh, change. You know, Vim Janssen came in pre-season, took time to to understand the way he wanted to do things. and um, But, you know, we, as the season went on, you know, the players they brought in, Larson's and Craig Burley, great signing, Paul Lambert, along with guys like Reaper, you know, a real backbone to the team. Um, it was just a, a great, a great feeling that, and that league cup helped us handle that. I think it gave us that kind of shot in the arm and belief that we could go on and and win the league as well, which which we did. Yeah, and obviously the man that signed you for Celtic, Tommy Burns, the late great Tommy Burns. Um, what was he like? Not just as a 
as a manager and a coach, but as, as a, an overall guy, just as a, his personality? It was brilliant. And you'd be able to talk about him, McGaffer and how, how he was uh, on and off the park. And he was, and he was such a, a big influence for me on and off the park. You know, we'd, me and my wife had a lot of issues uh, having children and, and the gaffer, uh, you know, he was brilliant with us with that, um, you know, and dealing with that. And dealing with the human side, the, the, the things that people say people don't see, you know, they just see the, the Saturday or the result. Um, but you're dealing with people day to day and they have that caring aspect that Tommy had, that he was, you know, he was there for you, he was there for everybody. He knew everybody that was going on. Some people needed, you know, certain attention uh, and he knew about it and he cared and that you know as good as he was a player and a manager but I think as a person he was just spectacular yeah and obviously um <clears throat> when you look at we, we mentioned the 96 97 season it's an iconic season for the club we stopped Rangers for doing 10 in a row um was there was there a particular game that kind of stood out for you guys in in that season that you really thought that that's that's the game that could win us the title. Um, I think there's a few moments. Yeah, I think the I mean the, the one just after New Year when we beat the Rangers two 0 at home. Uh, Craig Burley and Lambo scored a screamer in the last few bit. You know that was, and if you actually look at the that the actual game, the amount of saves that Andy Gorham had in that match was just incredible. You know the chances we created. You're thinking, God, it's going to be one of these games again. You know, one v ones with Harold, and he's stopping it with Harold, and uh, and yeah, and unfortunately, Craig, uh, he got the breakthrough. Uh, I slipped it through to him, reverse pass, and then the last minutes, Paul scored a screamer right in the top corner. Uh, you know, and that that was a massive, massive victory for us at that point. That we knew we could <laughs> could beat them without. Even though we had to play really, really well and have that little bit there extra, because that's what you had to, you know, games I played with Tommy were outstanding, some of the matches, and then they'd break away and score, or, you know, something happened in the match, you didn't get the result. So, you know, to get that, that moment with, uh, with Vim's team to go in and secure uh, the, the league was, was so important. Yeah, and I think, um, I think, I don't know if I'm right in saying this, it was, um, that was that New Year game was uh, the first victory in ten New Year derbies, I think. Um, yeah. And there was some sort of stat that whoever won the league at New Year, uh, or whoever won the derby at New Year, went on and won the league. So that was obviously a good omen. Um, if you for, fast forward now to the game at East End Park, you go back to your old stomping ground, um, penultimate game of the season, and we go one nil up. Um, you know what was what was the feeling in the dressing room like after the game when obviously we conceded. Solely on because you could feel it in the stands, you could feel it in the fans almost as if to go, surely this can't slip away. Yeah, it was. I mean, at that moment, it was like disappointing because you're even the build up to it, you know, the, the, the fans that were there and people that were waiting to celebrate. And you know, you've got that bit of kind of let them down kind of thing when you lose a goal late on the way we did. Um, but in fairness, Vim Jansen was, was so calm, you know, he's just like. We do it next week at home in front of our own fans, and it just turned it around really quickly. You know, I, I had to go to a supporters thing that that night in Paisley. Uh, I was like, "Oh, how am I going to go with this? We've just <laughs> should have won the league today." And but it, well, I came in and they were celebrating. They were, 
they were fantastic. You know, they say we'll do it next week at home. That's we'll want to be there to see it anyway. Uh, and yeah, it proved the case. We done an extra week to, and it was worth it. Yeah, I mean, obviously you wanted to win at home. I suppose it was it was all intentional in the end. But uh, listening to Henrik, obviously, um, and DVDs past when he was, he was talking about that and he was saying you know fans were coming up to you guys and and just saying please you, you know you need to win it and obviously we did win it against St Johnson and that goal I suppose that that second goal from from Harold Bratback on the day I mean you could feel the tension lift you could feel the relief around the stadium but um and because that game could have went either way I think St Johnson had a couple of chances you know that were pretty close, but obviously, what was it like when when the referee blew the final whistle? And you know, it was just madness. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think when Harold put it in, you know, as I said, I was fortunate enough to push, push, pass it across to him, and I'm thinking at the time there, you know, we Harold's not even we Harold's not <laughs> You know, I could see him and he kind of lost the the fullback, and and Tom Boyce put it over us, uh, and it was you know perfect just to. I'd quite look up and seen him breaking away, and that, that was Harold's uh, game. It was in front of him, you know. He was more suited to that running in front and the ball in front of him. So you know, I just put across and he didn't break his stride. But as soon as that went in, we knew that, that was it. You know, we'd won the league. Uh, we just count the countdown for the last remaining minutes of the game. It was such a, a relief for for everybody. Um, and obviously when Kenny Clark picked up the ball, myself and Tom Boyd were near him at the time. We just stood and cuddled and but this we were just delighted and relieved. I think I think that's that's what makes it even better, the fact that you guys are obviously, you know, Celtic fans and you know what it means to the fans and you know um you know, 'cause I think I feel well a lot of kind of foreign players, especially when they come to either Celtic or Rangers, they don't really get that kind of that feeling that, that they don't get what it means to the fans as much kind of thing. Um, so it obviously helps. It was a, a lot of homegrown talent in the team. Um, and obviously then the club go into a transition period where, you know, Joe Vengloss, uh, Jansen leaves, Joe Vengloss comes in, um, you know, and then we had Barnes and Douglas that doublet. Um, I mean, what was that like when, when Barnes and Douglas kind of came in to, to play under somebody like John Barnes? Uh, to be honest, I was really excited about it when I first, you know, I actually I knew before it was announced, uh, and I couldn't tell anybody. I was, <laughs> I just had a knee, a, my second knee operation, um, and Alan McDonald, who was the chief executive at the time, was, was had met me, and I was down in London, and he said, "Oh, John Barnes is going to be the new manager. The police is coming in." and so this is that'll be brilliant, you know, total football and what a player he was. Um but yeah, it didn't it didn't work out. <laughs> I mean they talk I talk about it in my book as well, where I think it went wrong for, for, for John. Um and it wasn't to do with race or colour or anything else, you know. Mm-hmm. I just thought the communication and the trust with the players. I think he talked about he was undermined by, you know, the the higher up in the club at the start, well, I thought he kind of done the same way as the players. He didn't really trust the players um, from day one, you know, and they kind of us and them about them rather than a, a team. You know, speak to individuals uh, rather than collectively, um, you know. It, which I, I know all managers have, have favourites and stuff, but 
and obviously Henrik breaking his leg didn't help. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, we look at the, some of the games we, we were fantastic early on. Aberdeen scoring six and seven at home, and when it worked, it was good. But against better opposition, you know, I thought we were vulnerable, especially maybe the right back, uh, the, the system that he played. You know, he had Paul Lambert and Craig Burley in front of the back four. Then you had Moravchik and Berkovic. Then you had Larson and Viduka, which on papers it's a top team. Yeah. But against good opposition, you know, you've you've got no real width apart from the fullbacks, which left us quite exposed. You know, Lubo and 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 Ayo uh, weren't going to chase down fullbacks, and you don't want your two centre forwards, Viduka and Henrik, doing it either. So it was dragging Paul Lambert and Craig Burley around quite a bit. Um, but again, certain teams at home, when they're sitting in, it's totally different. You know, you, you can get away with it. But going to Ibrox or going in European games like Leon, when you actually see where Henrik is when he breaks his leg. I mean, down my area, he was quite close to me at the time, trying to help out the team. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, um, the saviour comes in, Martin Neal comes into the club and... Um, you know, wins wins our first treble in thirty, I think it's thirty one years. Um, obviously, in terms of when he first comes in, you then became after playing so many games, you become a squad rotation player. Um, I mean, how tough was that to take in terms of? Obviously, you played so so much for Celtic before, kind of thing. Yeah, it was tough. I think um, it was a test mentally because you know you're you're preparing. Every game with Martin, you didn't know you didn't know where you stood. If you were going to, you would name the team subs an hour and a half before the game. So you'd spent all that the preparation, you know, and you had to go thinking that you were playing. So into that moment, where you're, you know the adrenaline's there, you get the butterflies ready to go in the match, and suddenly you're, you know, you would just name out the, the sub names, and you're listening listening for McNamara and. Um, and it's not being said. So it's like, right, I'm not, I'm not sub today. I'm not, I'm not even on the bench. You know, because at that point you had two young kids had to be on the bench, uh, under a certain, or had to be in the starting eleven or be on the bench. So the two yeah. kids that that wouldn't normally be on the bench, uh, you know, for the first team at that point, and then obviously guys like myself were sacrificed for a couple of young players uh, that are not there in merit. So it was, it was tough, you know, I'd started well under Martin, I was doing well, played in the 6-2 game, we beat Rangers and a few other matches, and I got injured away with Scotland, away in San Marino, and uh, that's when he played Didier Gatt against Mum at home, and then, you know, I found myself out of that position for quite a while, then it wasn't until he changed things, you know, I'd go into midfield or I'd go into left back or left centre back, Um it was until later on he changed back to a back four at times that I came back into the, the fold, uh, you know, week in and obviously then being his captain, which was massive for us. Yeah, and obviously, you know, that first season, as you say, so much success, beating Rangers 6-2 and um, winning the treble. You obviously came off the bench quite early on Scottish Cup final day, um, scored a tremendous goal against Hibs. I mean, I would say, I would normally say to players, did you dream it the night before? But obviously being a right-back, um, I can't imagine you've had many better strikes than that kind of thing. It's weird because Hibs, Hibs as a young kid, had let me go and it was too small. You know, I used to train with Hibs. Uh, my first goal for Celtic was against Hibs. You know, uh, that day at Easter Road, I was 60-61. My brother had money on us. 
and every time we played Hibs, you know, I, I seem to seem to be the team that I would score against. In the cup final, even though I, I didn't start, my brother had money on me to score the first goal at thirty-three to one. So uh, he seemed to know more than me. He seemed to have a, actually scored two against Hibs like two weeks before the final Easter Road when we won there. I was playing midfield, so at that time I wasn't. I was more a midfielder in, in Martin's eye. You know, I would play in there, play mm-hmm. away in Ajax uh, with, with, with the, the game there, uh, the qualifiers for the Champions League. Martin seemed to play me more in there, and unfortunately he put me on in there as well, and that's where I got the goal from. Well, obviously, it was, I think it was tough in, in terms of the formation and the style of football he played, because obviously he played a back three and Baldi, Mialbi and Volharen, and to be fair, you know, there's no much that got past that defence, so obviously there's an extra space in the midfield, so you know, you would you would hope that you'd play more in midfield. I mean, do you prefer playing in midfield or did you play prefer it right back? Um it's a tough one. I, I like midfield, I like right back. I like to be honest, that didn't it didn't bother me. You know Would you just play wherever? I I actually quite like you know, playing different positions and learning other positions, being versatile. Sometimes it can work against you which which it did, but you know, but you're always kind of. If you're in the pitch, you're starting at one position, and something happens in the pitch. Rather than him making a change, you know, you you are actually the one that gets changed and put back to another position. Like even the UEFA Cup final, you know, I go in there to for Paul Lambert to uh, to go and Martin Ashby to go and go and mark Deco, trying to stop Deco uh, getting on the ball. Obviously, then that changed when Bobo gets sent off and get put back back into defence at that point. Um, but again, it, it it didn't bother me as long as I was involved in playing, and that that was that was the main thing for me. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we're talking about period of dominance. That's that's really when it kind of started with Celtic early two thousands, and you know that UEFA Cup run in in two thousand three was unbelievable. Um, I can remember myself I was watching majority of the games in my local and we had the same seats and we were in the, the same tops and there was just superstitions, you know, for every game and especially to not Liverpool out at Anfield and then go on and reach the final. I mean, did you expect that many thousands, tens of thousands of fans to turn up at Seville? Uh, I mean, we knew that it was, it was, everybody was, anybody you spoke to was going and they knew somebody that was going. It was just, and tickets, try to get everybody you knew tickets. You know, you feel like you're letting people down, and can you, you know, everybody was desperate to get tickets for the game. Um, but it was just incredible. I mean, we stayed, we stayed just under an hour away from Seville and Jerez, out the way, but we were travelling in the team bus to go to, into the stadium. As soon as we came anywhere near Seville, it was just green and white. You never seen any Porto fans at all, just green and white everywhere you looked, it was just, you get the shivers down the back, and you see them all, all there, and it was just unfortunately we couldn't, we couldn't get the, the win in the night, you know, for the for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was gutted for all you guys, but um, I think especially for Henrik, walking, watching him walking by the trophy, I think Chick Young interviewed him after the game, um, and he just looked at his medal and was like, I don't, I don't want that, you know, I didn't come for that. And obviously, I think a lot, do you, do you guys, um, I can't remember if you guys wore the, the runners-up medal or did you, were you one of the players that kind of 
you know, puts it on and then takes it off kind of thing. I actually think I had mine on it. Do you know what? I've actually lost mine. I don't know where my medal is. <laughs> I'm serious, I don't. I've got medals. Aye. I've got mother winner's medals there. Um, my daughter, I know her daughter took her into school to, sh- to, sh- to show someone and came back and I've never, I've not seen it for, sorry, <laughs> you know, for a number of years. Uh, I've got the rest of my medals there, the winner's medals in the league and stuff, but yeah, for a cup final, I don't know what it is. So it, it's... <sighs> I did put it around my neck, but I think it was different for me as well because, you know, I'm talking about my book, that my mum was really ill at the time, so I was going through a different thing, you know, that disappointment there in, in that 90 minutes, but in reality, it, was, it wasn't as the same as what it would normally have been because, you know, uh, I lost my mum a, like, a short time after Seville, so it was, for me, it was a different thing from the rest of the lads in the dressing room at that point. I was more focused on my mum than the final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously like um, you know, I was watching I was watching the football yesterday and obviously it was a an emergency in the crowd, a medical emergency in the crowd and that's it brings it I suppose especially for yourself, it brings it back that it's only a game of football. I know fans can get hit up about it and they can get overwrought about it, but at the end of the day, you know, there is more to life in football kind of thing. Um in terms of then your, you you know your final season and of course Martin O'Neill's final season mixed emotions and as you say you made you were made captain for the season and we all we unfortunately lost the league and um, to Motherwell in the last day um, I mean were you I suppose were you you guys how how did you take that in terms I know you went on lifted the Scottish Cup um, you know but how disappointing was that on the day to to obviously try and bounce back for for me that was probably the the lowest i've felt um was probably that game i think just the man of the game i mean you look at now you go right it wasn't you know i lost i've lost two leagues in the last day well maybe three if you count the the first season with tommy burns Mm -hmm. maybe aberdeen won it the last day but the other two under martin one was after seville uh, and that one, you know, uh, Martin's last league game, uh, which, you know, honestly, we could have been five up in the first half. The amount of chances we had, one v ones with the with the, the strikers, and uh, then the guy McDonald puts one over his shoulder with a few minutes to go, and it's just like, you know, at the time it's gotten because uh, it's a whole season. But you know, the way I look at it, there, it was it was meant to be. It was sometimes there you you've, you've not got any control over it. Uh, and that's that was one of the moments that it just it wasn't our day. Yeah, and then obviously you know Martin leaves, and you know you you're kind of stuck in limbo almost with, with your contract. And um, Gordon Strachan comes in as the manager. Did you feel undervalued by um, by the club, or was it a case of Celtic dragging their heels with a contract extension kind of thing? Uh, I felt undervalued. Anyway, I think you know, and the year before I was uh, player of the year, uh, the sports writers, and we'd won the, the league and had a good season, um, captain as well. And I asked for a three year, they gave me one year, and I wasn't, you know, a high earner at the club. And but I knew my value, and so I took the, the year, and obviously, I got a testimonial at the end of it um, from the fans, and then. We sat down, Martin Martin was leaving and Gordon was coming in 
and then waited the first off for the, the a contract was like the fourth of June. Um, you know, as club captain, and hadn't pushed myself anywhere. I hadn't asked the agent to put me anywhere. I've always thought I was going to be at Celtic, and then the the first offer wasn't great. Uh, then I went to see Gordon in his office, uh, and then sat down. And he was talking about other players, you know, that he was targeting, and, and I was just like, "What well, about me?" He said, oh, "It's the first offer, you know, it'll get sorted. Peter will sort it." And and, and they didn't. Uh, you know, the, we'd arranged another meeting, and they cancelled the meeting. At that point, I was quite angry, as you can imagine. We were expecting the th our third child uh, imminently, which I actually signed for Wolves on the 14th of June. And Evie, my daughter, the youngest, is, was born on the 17th. So it was like a upheaval. You know, it wasn't yeah. uh, it wasn't great timing or anything, but I had to obviously sort my stuff out. And I'd, honest, I'd, to this day, I don't know the... The real reason, you know, is it because Gordon didn't want me at the club, or because he thought I would turn around and accept, you know, what they were giving me? I, I don't know. I didn't. It felt to me, and it still does to this day, that I wasn't wanted, and that's how, you know, when I spoke to Glenn Hoddle the night before, uh, I went down to Wolves. He said, "I hope you're not using this as a, a bargaining chip, you know, to get." Yeah. I said, "Look, I'll give you my word." Mm -hmm. You know, I've told my family um, it's not about money now. It's the principle, and you know, and I speak about that in the morning when I'm driving down there. I get calls from Peter and Mark McNeil had phoned, and different other people had phoned trying to, to convince me not to go. But you know, there's no way I could. I went back on my word. It wasn't about money at this point. Well, that's what I was going to say. In terms of obviously, you know, Glenn Hoddle was a manager at the time, and. Um, obviously, what would, what was he like to work under uh, as a manager? Obviously, a great player and great manager. But what was he like to to work under? It was it was I enjoyed working with Glenn. I, I mean, I thought he was way ahead of his time. You know, his pre-season, everything he was doing, I thought he was excellent. Um, he um, I eight games. I played eight games under him, and then I done my cruciate in training. Uh, my ACL, which put me out obviously for quite a while. I, I didn't come back to the end of the season, but you know, but I enjoyed the games that I worked under him. I really enjoyed uh, how he came across and how he wanted it to, to be done. Yeah, and obviously, I think it was a youngster, a young up and coming kind of maybe Bulls player that, that, that tackled you, maybe went in a wee bit hard. Um, but I need to ask you about healing hands, Hoddle. Um, what is the story <laughs> when you were obviously yeah. injured you're leaning the treatment table yeah i mean i actually thought it was a wind up i thought that you know when i done my acl i was on the, the treatment table and the, the physio the two physios the doctor and the two masseurs were there and they were talking about my injury and stuff and the, the you know operation that was coming in and they said look glenn will come in the gaffer will come in and they'll He'll touch your knee and stuff. And I'm just like, <coughs> thought they winded me up. <laughs> so uh, the gaffer, Glenn, came in and he comes over. He's quite soft, you know, that cockney. All right, Jack, you all right? And Sai Gaffer and just popped my there and he, he put his hands on my knee. He had both hands there and he sort of touched my knee and they were kind of turned away behind him. Like, 
you know, and I'm trying not to tell. <laughs> I, I thought I thought they were winding me up, um, and he asked he asked one of the the, the, the masseurs if he could do some reiki on me, and the wee guy's like, I can't do it, I can't do reiki, I don't know how to do reiki, so they were giving him. He eventually walked away, and they were giving him a bit of stick. Uh, you know, uh, they're giving a bit of stick in the background, and they all thought he went out the changing room, but he was still, he must have heard them. He 100% heard them, gave him stick, he just heard the toilet flushing, and they all just <laughs> went pure white. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, I, th- I thought he was I thought he was good. Did, did he genuinely believe that, that he had some kind of... He never, he never said anything to me, you know, like, mm-hmm. I feel he, he never, it was them, they said, oh, he, he thinks he's got healing hands, he'll touch your, your knee. And I'm like, I right, very good. <laughs> uh, you know, and then he just, he was talking to me while he was, so he put his hands on my knee, uh, where, where, where the ACL is, you know, my kneecap, just under the kneecap. He just took both hands on it. And then, as I said, he turned to the masseur to see if he could do some reiki. He, he, didn't, he didn't know how. <laughs> was, I genuinely, I, I genuinely... <laughs> I was I was genuinely buckled when I when I read that honestly. Um, you uh, you obviously played in the the Derby game against West Brom in the playoffs, but um, narrowly lost out in both legs. Um, <clears throat> in terms of, I know there's probably no comparison between the two derbies, but um, what was that derby like to play in? Uh, it was okay. I was I think it was it is quite you know it's their derby, it's their rivalry. There's a lot of hatred, but. It's it's not the same. There's nothing, nothing comes close to the, the Glasgow derby. Uh, you know, it's it's a one-off. Yeah, and obviously, you know, um, it it didn't really work out for Wills in terms of obviously your injury and that played a massive part in it. And then obviously Hoddle left and was it McCarthy came in, um, but you know, you go on holiday, you're in Spain and you bump into of all people, Jimmy Calderwood, um, who was Aberdeen manager at the time, um. How how strange a situation was that that he was basically you know trying to trying to get you to move to Aberdeen? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, I was looking at the adoptions to to uh, stay in England, um, and I'd actually I was close to going to Australia at one point to Sydney FC. I got offered a two year deal to go to Sydney, and I was uh, thinking about it. And then the manager it was Terry Butch at the time got sacked. Um, so that that kind of fell away, and I was looking at my options, and I was on a stag, uh, stag weekend in um, Magaluf, and was in the the bronze bar, which was owned by was a, a gentleman that used to I used to know at Dunfermline. He was a coach, Bobby Bobby Drummond. His bar and Jimmy was there, and I was on a stag, and Jimmy was there with a few other people, uh, and started talking to me about why don't you come up and. You know, uh, so eventually he spoke to me like a week after I came back for the for the stag and, uh, and offered us a two year deal and promised us certain things that didn't materialise. So, but I'd signed I signed for two years, but I, I lasted eight months up there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it wasn't uh, it wasn't enjoyable. I mean, I picked up a few injuries. I ended up I was travelling from Edinburgh and. 
doing well staying down in England for the distance. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say the commute must have been an absolute nightmare. I'm looking at I'm looking at the now with, with Scott Brown, you know, after he's left and thinking Yeah. I wonder if he's travelling up every day or what he's doing if he's staying up there. Um so it's again that's the bit that people don't see, you know, they just see you turn out. Um on, I actually got a bad hamstring tear away in Atletico Madrid. Yeah, but that, that that would have been down to travel. Yeah. And then obviously you go full circle. Um you, you know, you go to you go to Falkirk to play for Yogi Hughes. Um you know, obviously you were at Gerdick United, so that I think that's the kind of same area. Am I right in saying that? It's a yeah. Falkirk mm-hmm. area, yeah. So um you know, I had a wee bit of success there, reached the League Cup semi final and, and the Scottish Cup final. Um I think you lost both to Rangers, unfortunately. Um Knowing a team that you had and, and obviously the players that you had, um, did you think you could deliver at least one of the cups? Were you confident enough to, to go and deliver one of the cups, even though it's Rangers? I thought, really, I thought we were really unlucky in the Scottish. I thought we deserved to, to win the Scottish Cup final. We lost a kind of freakish goal. I know we scored one for kind of lob from a throw in at the start of the second half, but I thought we'd we, another game, we, we, we would have beat them. You know, the chances we had. Um, it was a roasting hot day. But for me personally, it was uh, from the year before I had Aberdeen, you know, working with Yogi, because when Aberdeen, at the end of Aberdeen, I totally fell out of, you know, uh, wanting to play, uh, maybe think about finishing. Because at that point, a lot of people said, oh, he's finished, he's passed it, you know, 34, 35. And I knew I wasn't, you know, I just needed looked after properly and maintained right and Yogi done that you know that he gave me that and I had a good season with Yogi I, I won the players play of the year at 35 year old and got to the cup final with them you know and played a part in keeping them in the league that year so I enjoyed working with him I thought it was it was good yeah, and I think when you look back at even at your Celtic stats, you know, talk about you were definitely undervalued in terms of winning player of the year twice. I think you actually won player of the year in your last season at cap as captain, is that right? Um Yeah, yeah. yeah I've just been quite fortunate, you know, with, um, with the accolades, which is for me that's the, one of the good ones that the players play. You know, I've done that as a uh, young player, then the, the players play in 97, 98. And then I was a sports writer in 2003, 2004, but also the Celtic players played the year. The Celtic players voted for that, um, you know, to get that, that accolade as well, which was which was great. Yeah, and I think obviously when you, obviously a brief spell at Partick Thistle before you finished up um, playing and then you kind of get shunted into coaching, you got asked to take the team Um and in terms of looking back on your management career now, in, in terms of, I think you've had to deal with a lot of, a lot of crap in terms of, um, you've not really went to a club where you've had loads of money to spend. You know, it's all about budget cuts. It's all about bringing in young players to try and um, keep teams up, kind of thing. And obviously, the way it ended at Thistle, um, it wasn't obviously what you wanted. And fact, listen, fans are fickle, obviously, but. Um, Obviously, you and uh, you brought Sid in with you, kind of thing, and the the coaching side of things, and took the reins from me and McCall. Um, but you brought through players like you you brought players in the club like Stephen O'Donnell. I think it was Conrad Bartoni, Kyle Hutton. Um, you know how good was it to get those kind of players in? You know, and to yeah. start. No, 
I think it was uh, for me personally. It was it was getting the the ones that were hungry. You know, they didn't have a lot of money, but it was for them. It was an opportunity to to come in, and they'd been released. Uh, two boys from Motherwell, we Ross Forbes and young Stephen Lawless at the time, who done it was excellent for us. The two of them. Um, you know, every club under nice one watching their twenties and picking them out, and they weren't they weren't paid. You know, they weren't paid like a full-time footballer. They weren't paid like part-time. You know, the wages were very, very low. Um, you know, in the club, when we took over, just wanted to survive in the championship in Division 1. That was their marimit because of the, they'd slashed it all. Um, you know, and they're paying stuff in my own pocket to try and help and try and do things. And Again, people don't see that. Um, but it took us a bit of time to get that, the football we wanted. You know, the first wee bits when I'm trying to get them to play football. I remember when the journalist, um, John Trainer, he put in beach bombs and samba stars was the headline. You know, because I was trying to get them to play football and it was something that couldn't be done. Uh, so you fast forward a year and it was the best, probably if you asked any uh, honest party of Vizzle fan, it was the best football they've seen and it'll be, it'll be that that era, you know, before we left. Um, but that was with doing it every day, training the right things, getting the right people and boys that were hungry, that wanted to improve um, and believing in what we were doing. Uh, you know, and we got into a position in the January where we were challenging for the league uh, before we left to go to Dundee United. But, you know, at that point, the, the loyalty uh, for me was loyal to myself and Simon about our opportunities. The the chance at United, I knew going up there, it was going to be another difficult job. But they had resources in terms of training facilities. I wasn't going to be scrambling about looking for a pitch to train on. They had some okay young kids. Uh, you know, Peter Houston had just resigned saying that he couldn't take the club forward with the cuts and the kids weren't ready, which I totally agree with him. You know, but we made them. We made them ready, brought another ones we lost players in the first sort of January. I think they'd only won two games at home, you know, at the end of January. Which we managed to beat them in the Scottish Cup with McCoy's. Yeah, and... and was, I mean, it's a ch challenge. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. When you look at, you know... you. You built the foundations on which the club went on, obviously won the title. You'd finished sixth in your first season, Challenge Cup final. Um, as you say, it cut your teeth um, to go and manage a team like Dundee United. And I was actually really surprised at how kind of successful you were at Dundee United. That, you know, obviously, I know you, you, you got to, um, I think it was sixth place finish, um, fourth place finish, you know, beat by Celtic narrowly in the Scottish Cup semi-final. Um, and, and of course, you look at players you'd already, already brought in at Partick, um, you then bring in players like, you had players like John Souter, Ryan Gold, you brought Andy Robertson at the club. Um, in terms of obviously looking at, especially Andy Robertson, how how much he's progressed, I mean, how proud are you that, that how he's done in his career kind of thing? Yeah, delighted. I mean, it's... It's um, you know, it's the boys themselves that do it. You're just giving them an opportunity, you know, and, and that kind of backing to do that. Um, 
we first brought Andy up, he came up to St Andrews where his mum and dad were there, uh, uh, and the PFA were there with him, and you know, his mum and dad, look, we'll bring him in, we'll, he'll be doing the, the sports science with, um, you know, the, the tapped into the university, the guy Alan Gartshaw up there, who's fantastic, you know, and if you look at Andy Roberts when he first came up to, when he sort of first signed, and you look at him, you know, 10 months later, when he was leaving, it's a different person. His thighs, his, you know what I mean, his strength, his power. Um, and these guys help do that, you know, putting their part and giving them opportunity to go and express yourself. It's the same with him going to Hull, Hull as well. Hull was a platform. I knew he wouldn't be at Hull for very long. Uh, you know, once he goes down to England and he shows that he can uh, handle it, he'll go and kick on in, in fairness he has. You know, he's, he's incredible what he's what he's done, um, what he's achieved so far. But um, again, a young kid that had something to prove, you know, released released at a young age from, from Celtic and it goes starts at the, the low the lowest point in at Queen's Park, uh, amateur status and then he comes up the ladder. Um, but he's again I, I got a lot of satisfaction from boys like that. You know, I, that's what worked for me at Partick Thistle, uh, with the boys I'd said before. And I tried to, to do that a little bit at United. You put the unknown, bring them in. And, and try and get them up to speed rather than going and buying someone. That's for me. That's why they had the problems in the first place. The buying players, you know, and the budgets and putting the club in debt uh, was to continually do that and, and keep the that whole thing moving forward rather than you know living beyond their means. Yeah, and in terms of obviously you had to work under tough circumstances at Dundee United as well. Um, the chairman Stephen Thompson, obviously, um, I think he'd, he'd sacked you after. And and to be honest, the, the the way it sounds, you know, it was pretty brutal and um, very undeserving in terms of your cup runs. Obviously, I think you you got to the Scottish Cup final against St Johnson as well. Um, as well, that was the year you finished fourth. I mean, did you feel? More hurt or just angry at the way it, it handled uh, things, kind of thing. A bit of both, to be honest. I mean, my remit when I took the job was it was to get rid of their debt in five years, mm -hmm. and we'd done it in two and a half, and that was with relative success as well. You know, we're getting to finals, top six finishes, playing a, a good uh, brand of football, entertaining. The crowds were up, everything was was going well. And, the problem is when you you get that and you lose, you know we lost uh, we lost five players in just over a year, you know, and it's very difficult to just go and get another Andy Robertson in or get another Nadir yeah. Chifsey or another Mackay Stephen or Ryan Gold. It's very difficult. You can't just go and especially when you're not. You need to grow it. You need to get them in early. You need to you know grow your own. And I always maintained. When we got these guys when we first came up, we could afford them. But after a year, we couldn't, you know, we could afford Andy Robertson when we first got him from Queen's Park. But fast forward one year, we can't afford them because he's way beyond what he can pay for a player, you know, in that time. Same with you know, all the players that moved on, Ryan Gold, uh, Mackay Stephen, Armstrong, Shifsey, John Souter. So it was good to be uh, play a part in, in helping them on their journey. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, you leave Dundee United and I suppose in a contrast of the motions between chairman, 
Um, Jason McGill, chairman of York City, persuaded you to come to Yorkshire. Um, what was he like to, to work under? And, um, you know, just in terms of the difference and, and the style of football down there? He was brilliant to work under. And uh, to be honest, that was the main reason why I went. I went from a certain chairman to probably the most supportive chairman I could get. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wish I'd done the stuff for him that I'd done for the previous, yeah. Um, and what he believed in, you know, he he, he kind of saved York City all the years ago and put lots of his own money in, and get no, he gets no thanks for it. Um, you know, and we wanted to try and do what we've been doing with Thistle and United to an extent. You know, to just not buy it, um, but it didn't work. You know, the, the, way, the, the things that we're trying to do and there's a different football, different mentality, different culture, you know, looking at it from my side, what would I have done differently? Um, and it's a hard one because, you know, you're going somewhere, I went in at the start of November and the budget's been largely used up. Then you're relying on loan players to come in, you know, and you can't send them until the January anyway. So it was tough. It was a tough gig, uh, York. Um, you know, not enjoyable. One, one, one bit of it. The only, the only kind of plus in it was my friendship with Jason. Uh, you know, we're best friends now, and it through <laughs> the, the adversity. But you know, best friends through trying to do things. You know, you actually were at before we left. Before. The end of that first season, one of the young lads got sold to Norwich, and they helped facilitate that. Um, then he got moved to Everton from Norwich for twenty-five million. <laughs> you know that's there that for some club like York City, they've to put in. You know they've got a percentage of the sale on for things like that. That's that was a kind of model that we were trying to do. I mean, I, I couldn't take any credit of that lad moving on. I only played him six games. You know. He's moved on and he's done very well. Uh, he's playing with Everton now, but that was the model that we were trying to to do at the time. But it was it was too difficult. Yeah, and then obviously you get, you know, um, unfortunately, despite relegation, you get actually get asked to become the CEO of the club. I mean, how how kind of shocked were you that that that, that got proposed to you? Yeah, I mean, I was I made my mind up. I'd met him and. I was going to finish the last game. Uh, you know, I'd resigned after the one of the matches, and he hadn't got a replacement. I said, right, I'll put a statement out, and you know, try and get some attention. You'll get people applying. Um, but I, in my mind, I was always going to walk away at the weekend. I said, if I don't get the right result, you know, I'll uh, look at my position. Um, and then I was driving down the, in, the, in the bus the night before the game down London. He said, well, I've been thinking about it. He said, look, I've never trusted anybody to, you know, do that side of a, the football club for me. I'd, I'd love you to, if you can steal and help me and be my eyes and ears and help run the club. Um, and it wasn't something that I was, you know, I've always, I want to do this. I, I thought about mm-hmm. it. It was more, I wanted to kind of stay for him and help yeah. him to get the new stadium. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the new stadium was getting built, it's finished now and they're in they're in the new stadium now. Um 
so I, I decided to to try and stay on and help him because he knew I think you know we built up a, a friendship but he knew obviously what we were trying to do it didn't work and everywhere it was so many fights down here with different people trying to put things across um, but again the, the chief exec role wasn't wasn't enjoyable either you know it was uh, it wasn't great um, and then obviously you know going going towards uh, the kind of Scotland side of things obviously 33 caps for your country um, playing at France 98 um, in terms of obviously you, you you played alongside teammates at the time, Craig Burley, Paul Lambert, Dan Jackson, Tom Boyd. Um, was that a bit more comfortable for you in terms of you felt that we better a comfort blanket when knowing they guys were in your team? Yeah, yeah, it helped. I mean, Craig's team was mostly had a lot of experienced players. You know, and we were seen as the youngsters. Um, and in, in today's terms, that's not young. You know, that mm -hmm. was... 24, coming up for 25, Simon, a year younger. Uh, you know, we were the youngsters in that squad, but um, we, it was an experienced team. You know, Craig liked his experience. and uh, But for me, yeah, it was good to have the, the other lads in there, even the other ones that I played with before, like John Collins and that as well. So it was, it was helpful. And um, obviously, I know um, Sid, I don't know if um, Sid was your roommate, um, and you got the Beatles jersey was it against after the Brazil game? Um, who did who did Sid get again? Is it Denilson? No, he, he didn't get he didn't get one. He, he asked Denilson and he gave him a custard pie. <laughs> um, you know that when the, the final whistle went, the the Brazilians went into the changing room and stuff, and their coach had pulled their subs to do some running, and Craig spotted that, so he asked the subs. You know, get the subs to do some running. Obviously, after the match, because they've not played, and then but the, I was already in their changing room getting the subs for the battle. So I, I went into the Brazilian changing room and got the battle's top, and went through the the, the Scotland dressing room, sitting on a Brazil strip on, and then like Simon and Nick was walking in, sweating, and he's like, "Where do you go?" And I said to him, "I went in." And uh, I said, do you know, get a strip? And he says, no, I asked uh, Danielson, but he said no. <laughs> so every night, every night, I used to put, at that time, it was a Samba de Janeiro song on. Yeah. I used to stick that on the music thing, full blast, and then do the wee Babetto dance. To still <laughs> <laughs> so whenever he hears that song, it brings back bad memories for him. <laughs> um, so um, just a couple of questions to finish on Keith Corkin from Come On Hoot Celtic page um, really big Celtic page says what's your favourite Sid goal? Uh, favourite Sid goal? I think um, I think probably one of his best ones was his header at Motherwell it was sort mm -hmm. of behind him and I crossed it in uh, and he, he, he's actually it's, it's an unbelievable header he puts in Um that probably be that one. Yeah, and um, obviously, will you be going to Qatar if Tottenham get there if Scotland qualify? Uh, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one thing when I was involved with the France '98. All my my dad and my brothers and my uncles, you know, all the family were there. They're all, all uh, enjoying themselves, and we're standing there, you know, thinking, I wish, I wish I was with them. And felt yeah. Uh, but obviously, I'm, I don't. I wish I was playing and involved in the team. 
Um, but you know what? I thought it'd be good to be involved with Tottenham. I mean, watching the games for once. Yeah, I mean, I had um, I had Rory Hamilton on uh, last season, and they were talking about um, Scotland going to the Euros, and he was saying he'll be he will obviously commentating on on most of the games. He says I'd love to have just been there as a fan and just went mm-hmm. um, and enjoyed myself. But obviously, I still enjoyed this and I'm sure you did as well. Um, mm-hmm. We'll finish on some of the tour dates, Jackie. Obviously, you've already done Inverness and Inverkip. Um, you're doing the, going on to the Irish leg of the tour, um, Enniskillen on the 21st of October, Lurgan the next night, and then Waterford as well, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It should be it should be good. I'm looking forward to going over there and um, seeing everybody as well. Uh, no, it'll be, it'll be a good, good wee trip. Yeah, and um, as I say, guys, um, Jackie's book, his name is McNamara, is out and all good bookstores um the book tour is is underway now as well you know the dates are on the the social media pages that we've got and obviously going to his name is mcnamara.com for any other um details and info but jackie listen it's been an absolute pleasure um thank you so much for for taking time of your day thank you very much cheers and um yeah so guys we'll be back on um, Sunday, with a couple of guests, we'll be talking about everything that's been happening with Celtic this week, the Ferridge Faros game, and obviously the game against St Johnson at the weekend. But um, in the meantime, we'll see you on Sunday, guys. Um, see you later.